what is the uh, hope of a holiday? I mean, what, it's 4th of July tomorrow. What's the hope of a holiday when we establish all these events? It's not just hot dogs and brats. The, what, what is the hope of every holiday for us as a nation when they set these things up? It is to remember. It's to remember some significant events. Tomorrow, it's to remember uh, independence that we as a country have received. And if you don't remember history, what will happen? You will repeat it. And in the book of Hosea, this is what God's challenge to his people has been. He has said to them over and over again the way they should go. They've chosen to go a different way. And so he reminds them of history in these two chapters. An author named McAuliffe who wrote the book 1776, and he wrote a lot of historical novels, is a well-known writer. He said this about the importance of why we need to listen to history. There is so much to learn about life from those who went before us, and to take no interest in what they went through, to show no respect for what they achieved, is not just to be stupid, it's gross ingratitude on our part. History is filled with voices that reach out to us and lift the spirit. So what is the hope of a holiday? It's to be remembering very important realities. But what is the true hope and help of your life? We need to remember that history helps us do that. And the reality is in the middle of the year, as we start, we're halfway through this year, we, we need to stop sometimes and just remember which direction we're going spiritually. How are things happening in your Christian life? Where, where are you at in remembering what God has showed you in the past? And sometimes you have to look back to look forward to find hope and help. Sometimes you have to look back so that you can look forward to find the hope and the help that you need. And this is exactly what is Hosea is happening because here's what happens often with us. If, if we just look at what's presently before us, we don't look back at the history where God brought us and wonder where he's taking us. If we just look at the present moment. If we're not careful, the present moment can be very deceptive and it can be very deceiving to you. I mean, this was the problem with Aaron. In the present moment when the people of Israel, uh, Moses was gone and they said, he's, he's not coming back. We need, we need a God. In the present moment, Aaron decided, okay, you're right. And he built and had them create the golden calf. In the present moment, it was very deceptive from him. For David, in the present moment, when he was up on the rooftop, when he should have been at war, and was looking at Bathsheba, in the present moment, became very deceptive for him. In the present moment, for Ananias and Sapphira, in the early church, and they saw, all, they saw all the things going on, and everybody else was contributing to the church, and they were getting uh, praised for it. In the present moment, they thought they should lie to God and try to deceive him, and it says that they suffered the consequences from it. If we don't look back to look forward, sometimes in the midst of the present moment, you can be very deceived. And this is what has happened to the people of God, the nation of Israel, God's people, for a long, long time, had walked away from God. God had seen it, he'd watched it, and he said to Hosea, judgment's going to come. But I want to, I want you to go to him one more time. And for almost 50 years, 
Hosea preached and preached and prophesied, and he said, turn back to God, turn back to God, and God said, I want to make your life such a picture for them that I want you to marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you, because I want you to show, and I want you to stay faithful to her, because I want you to see, and I want the people to see a living picture of my love for them. This is what Hosea had been doing for years, preaching to them. And the people kept rejecting it. And judgment was coming. They, they were going to suffer the consequences of their sin. And even through all this preaching, it was, it's a tragedy. It says in verse 12, 1, Ephraim, the nation of Israel, instead of following and returning back to God, this is what they were doing. They were gulping the wind. Ephraim feeds on the wind, which is, they're just, they're gulping the wind. They were trying to find their satisfaction in anything but what they knew to find their satisfaction in. It was just like gulping the wind. They were trying to look for Assyria to help them. They were trying to look for Egypt to help them. There was nothing to it. It was just like trying to eat and eating wind, just gulping the wind. They were playing with fire, and things were going to go very bad for them. This is why we are called to guard our life. It says, not only was the nation of Israel in trouble, but he says Judah, the nations underneath them, they were starting to follow the same path. This is why in Galatians 6, 6 it says, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. No one's an island to themselves. And it was just a tragedy that Hosea was dealing with. And God could have come in and he could have said, that's it. For five years I've talked to you, you're walking away, I'm done. He could have said that after 20 years. But he let Hosea preach for almost 50 years. He almost, he, Hosea would prophesy to them. And the tone of all of God's judgment, even though judgment is coming on the nation of Israel, the tone of all of Hosea, with all the hard things that we've heard God say to them, every time God says a very hard thing to them, he'll come back and say, but I don't want you to be destroyed. I love you. I want you to be with me. The tone of even Hosea 12 and 13 is a tone of fatherly affection. It's God calling out to you and God calling out to his people with a fatherly affection, even though he's watching ongoing sin, even though he's watching the, the nation of Israel sink into sin. God's tone, when you read this passage, is not anger. It's the tone of a father who loves his children and he's desiring them to turn around even though there's imminent consequences waiting for them if they don't. And he says to them, he has an indictment against them. And then he gives three historical realities. He talks, he takes them back to their history. And he says, I want you to look back. This is my last, it's about to end. And here's my last plea. I'm going to take you back to history and see where you came from. So hopefully you'll see where you are now and you will turn and come back to me. And so he comes back and he takes them back to Jacob. He takes them back to Moses and he takes them back to King Saul. And he wants them to learn from each one of them. And he has lessons from each one of them. So the first lesson that God says, I want you to look back on, is learn from Jacob, your father. Jacob was the father of the nation of Israel. And it says in verse 2, the Lord has an indictment against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. And then he relates the whole nation of Israel 
back to the beginning, to this person, Jacob, who was the father of the nation of Egypt. And he says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. If you read that, what God's saying to them, and this could have been a sermon that Hosea preached, what God was saying to them is, listen, nation of Israel, you've walked away from me, you're going the wrong way. You look and are acting just like your dad. You ever have anybody say that to you? Don't you love it when people say that to you? Hey, that, you remind me of your dad. It's like a death knell. You know, my boys hate it. I hated it. You know, no one wants to be, hey, you do something. Oh, that reminds me of your dad. If your dad was even good or bad. This is what God's saying to them. He's looking at the nation of Israel and he's saying, you look like your dad. And then later on, he says, be like your dad. Because he takes them back to the history of their father, the beginning of the nation of Israel. He says, here's how you look like your dad. At the beginning, Jacob himself, in verse, he, in, in the womb, he took his brother's heel. Jacob was a twin with Esau. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, when he was born, that he reached up and he grabbed Esau's heel and he pulled him out. And everybody at the time thought it was cute. And so they said, oh, look at that little grabber. Look at that little deceiver. And they called him Jacob, which was what his names meant. And in that moment, it looked like a cute thing. Oh, that kid just wants to get out. We'll name him Jacob. Deceiver, slanderer. But that became his character. That's exactly what Jacob was all through his life was a deceiver. And he grew up. And he deceived his brother Esau and took him away from, took him his birthright. With his help of his mother, he deceived them. And because of that deception, there was just great war between Esau and his brother, if you remember that. And God takes him back to that. And he says, the nation of Israel, this is how you're acting. You're acting just like your dad, which was an indictment against them. Remember your father Esau who, who grabbed at his brother's leg, and then stole his birthright and deceived him. And Jacob went on to live this life. And then in Genesis chapter 35, Esau is coming to start a war in Genesis 32, a war with Jacob. Jacob's scared to death. He knows his brother's coming and hears that there's a ton of people coming to kill him. Jacob gets scared. He separates his family. He puts one on one side, the other on the other, and he's afraid that his brother's going to come back and take revenge on him. And Genesis 32 says that in that moment, in that night, Jacob's filled with all this anxiety and all this struggle. And God comes, or an angel of God, and Jacob wrestles all night with this angel. And Jacob wrestles and he wrestles. And the striver and the conniver who thought he could make it his own way finally comes to a place in his life and he realizes he can't make it on his own way. The daylight's about to break. And Jacob says to God, the angel let me, says, let me go, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he does. Because in that moment, Jacob realized he could not continue making it through life, conniving in his own strength, being a self-supported individual. He needed help outside of himself. And God said, I will 
bless you. And when he blessed him, he touched his hip socket. And for the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a hip, walked with a limp. Before that, Jacob's life was lived with a swagger. He was the kind of guy that he said, I can figure any problem out myself. I can control my life. I can do things my way. I can deceive. I can connive people. But when he came to where he was supposed to be, he ended up walking with a limp. This guy who constantly wanted to grasp for things. He constantly wanted to just to grab and do it his way was changed. And God said, nation of Israel, you're just like your dad in that way. You're grabbing, you're conniving, you're trying to go to Egypt, you're trying to go to Assyria to get it all figured out. Deadly consequences for that. And then he says, but he met God at Bethel and God spoke to him there and he was changed. So God says, you're just like your dad. Don't be like that old dad. Be like Jacob. Be like Israel. Be like your dad. We need to grasp at grace. Jacob was a guy who would grasp at anything for his own sake, but he didn't grasp at grace. And God says to his people, if you're going to grasp at something, if you're going to be a grasper, then grasp at grace. Luke 8.14 says, when Jesus was talking about the sowing of the, the seeds, says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not, have, does not mature. This was the nation of Israel, it says. In verse 17, it says, the nation of Israel was like merchants and whose hands had false balances. They, they loved to oppress people. They were doing it on their own. They were very successful. They made money. Israel was prosperous during these times. So they couldn't figure out, why should I follow God exclusively? Because if I follow God a little, and if I follow Baal a little bit, and I follow this God a little bit, things are going well for this. We got money. We got security. And he says in verse 8, Ephraim, the nation of Israel, said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find iniquity or my sin. They were doing it themselves. They could cover up all their evils. But God said, I know. I see it all. You, You can't be a grabber at the things of the world and just get away with it. But if you want to grab something, then grab at grace like your father Jacob eventually did. Drop your swagger and walk humbly with a limp for God. I mean, how do you grab and grasp for grace? Grace is a free gift. How how can we grasp for grace? You, You grasp by grace by where you look. If you're looking for all the ways you can just succeed yourself, it's like, the sow, it's like the seed that fell in the things of the world that was choked and the cares of this world and the pleasures of life and it never matured. You've got to be looking. Be very careful what you're looking for. Where's your history? Where's your satisfaction? Where have you, where's God brought you? you? You grasp for grace by watching where you look. And you grasp for grace by watching where you lean. 
when Jacob, the old Jacob, was ever in trouble, he instantly leaned on himself with a swagger. But when Jacob, the one who had surrendered to God, was in trouble, he leaned on God. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. As you look at your life in the middle of this year, and you look where God's brought you from, and where he's carried you through all the concerns and anxieties of the last couple years, couple months? Are you still then walking with a limp and just awe of God and his grace? Or are you starting to recover from the pandemic? Things didn't did a little bit better at work. Things are calming down. You're figuring things out. And so instead of still limping towards God, you're starting to walk more with a swagger and be like, you know what? I needed God six months ago. I needed him two years ago, but I don't need God that much. And so I can just figure this out on my own. And it might not look different at all to anybody, but in your heart, you know. You know if it's the, you're grasping for grace or if you're grasping for yourself. God says to the people of Israel, look at the history of your father. Be like your dad, the dad who had limp and grasped for grace towards me. But the people of the nation of Israel didn't do it. They, they, they continued to go their own way. And God said, learn from Jacob. But then he says, learn from Moses. He says, I, verse 10, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied the visions. It is, it is in their iniquity. God says, if you, don't, if you continue to go down the path you're going, it may look successful right now, but, but if you continue to go down that path, it's going to like you're going to go back into time, into the slavery in Egypt. So he says in verse 13, Jacob fled to the Aram, another story of Aaron's, of Jacob's life. But then verse 13 says, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. The nation of Israel's course was corrupted. God had raised Jacob up. Jacob turned and followed God. Jacob's son Joseph rescued and saved the world. They were brought into Egypt. They ended up spending hundreds of years in slavery. God raises up this prophet Moses who had all the swagger and should have had all the swagger in the world. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was trained to be the greatest in the nation. He gives it all up so he can be with the people of God. And God said, he was my prophet. And it was Moses' job to guard you. Even the corrupted course of the nation of Israel, when they left Egypt, they had an 11-day trip if they would have just followed God. That 11-day trip, because they forgot history, and they forgot what God did in their life, ended up taking 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. And in that wandering, it was Moses, the prophet of God, who guarded them, was frustrated with them, struggled with them, prayed for them, carried them, helped them. And they still wouldn't learn. And God said, learn from Moses. He was the course corrector. We, we just like Christians, just like the nation of Israel, should reflect on Israel's corruption and their wandering from God and ask ourselves whether we remember the purpose for which God saved you. Do you remember why God saved you? Or has it become such a comfortable thing, just a part of your life, 
that you're like, I got God, but I can just keep living for myself. God didn't save us to live for ourselves. God didn't save us so that we could have our best lives now. God saved us so that we could serve him and follow him and be led by him. Do you practice the same things that God saved you from? You put them down for a while, but now you're like, eh, a little bit's not going to hurt. And have you forgotten the history of where God brought you from, who he used in your life to get you there and to guard you and to guide you? This is why it says, Jesus says in Luke 6, for American culture, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's going to be the thing that helps you grasp for grace? And what's going to be helpful the thing that guards you from living a life that just keeps drifting away from the things that God would have you? It's, it's a dangerous thing. I mean, it's a, it's a daily battle not to be drifted away. It, it's just daily. It's a, the reality of the Christian life. If you think that anybody here has got it figured out, you're wrong. The reality is it's a daily struggle to say, I got to remember why Jesus saved me. It's a daily struggle. But the way we guard that, like the prophet Moses, the way we guard it and God has given us is by through the word of Scripture. He gives us the word of God to read. And it's our guide and it's our guard. It corrects us and it helps us. It's a mirror to us. And God said to the people of Israel, listen, listen, be like your dad Jacob or be like your guard and prophet Moses. And then he gives them one last lesson. Because they're not getting it. They're not, they're not listening. If you read verse chapter 13, God's telling them, this is what's going to happen if you don't follow that. He says, be like, learn from Jacob. Learn from Moses. And then he says, learn from Saul. In verse 9, the people of Israel, they just kept walking away from God. They, Moses brought him into Canaan. Then, then they rose up again and said, we want a king like everybody else has a king. We want to be like everybody else. And God says, you're supposed to just follow after me. And, God, and they said, no, we want a king. So God says in verse 9, he gave them a king. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Saul was the guy. I mean, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. If you were going to have a king, that's the guy you would want. And so he was raised up and he says, that's the guy. And then God says to him, I gave you the greatest in the world. I gave you the best that man could do. Where is he now? This great, tall king came in with a big wow. As you read the history of Israel, he went out with a big whimper. Because he went in his own way. And why was that? Because the people had gazed. It says in verse 6 of chapter 13, the nation of Israel, but when they grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. They grazed on the abundance of their culture. 
They grazed on all the internet that they could take. They grazed on all the money that they could make. They, made, they grazed on anything that they could receive to, to soothe themselves so they didn't have to really think about nothing. They, they grazed on it all so they became so full that they had totally pushed God out. They didn't even care. So God gave them a king. Then he took that king out and he was filled with the weight of their sin and iniquity was coming. And it doesn't look good for the people of God. If you read the rest of 13. But then it says in verse 14, God says, Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol, which is death? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Those verses remind you of any of another verses? Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, and the great chapter of the resurrection, he quotes this. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but the grace of Jesus Christ is the victory. What Israel needed and what we needed was a true and right king, a better king than Saul. We needed a better prophet than Moses, and we needed a better founder than Jacob, and we have them in Jesus. And God says, I will have compassion on them. I won't make them go completely away. He just wants them to return. But I am the Lord your God, it says in verse 4, from the land of Egypt. Remember your history? I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I'm the, the one who brought you out of death. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. When you look to Saul, it's a wow and a whimper. What we're called to do is we need to see a better king. And the better king came in Jesus. And the choice then for us is to choose which king we will follow. Will you cling what we're called to do, as it says in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and to Timothy, remember the faith once delivered to the saints. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus. Not recreate it, not make it more comfortable. Remember the faith once delivered to the saints. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look to his resurrection. Learn from his history. Believe in him. See what he's done. Then build your life on him and bow to him. What does that look like in the real reality of the mess of a broken world? We're imperfect people trying to follow this God. What, what does that look like? Jacob was a guy who was constantly, his natural bent was to connive and to try to figure it out on his own. That's his natural bent. He followed, he, he came to a point where God, he trusted God. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but he was still not perfect. He still struggled all the way through. So this guy who struggled all the way through, that's us. We still struggle through, but Jesus was the only perfect one. So what does it look like? to grasp for grace? What does it look like to, to guard your life by the word of God? And what does it look like to cling to the faith once delivered to the saints in the real life reality? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like what happened to somebody in our church this week. Stephanie Hughes, who we know and love, is very honest and will tell you exactly how she feels. 
and loves Jesus. She posted this after some stuff going on this week. I read it and thought it was great. And I said, this is what it means in the reality of life to do what God's calling the people of Hosea to do. And so I'll read what she said. She goes, okay, I really need to say this. This has been a rough few weeks for me. I've had all things fall apart, money worries and a bout of tears. But at every, that's every crossroad, I stopped and prayed to God. I prayed, I talked, I begged, I cried, and only once did I freak out. Only once. I came close to it a second time until I realized he pulled me through. The first one so smoothly, why would I even think of freaking out again? So I took a deep breath and I said, Dear Lord, I need you to hold my hand and walk through this with me. I need to put my faith, love, and trust in you. Lead the way. And I didn't fear. Each and every one of those trials I walked through unafraid, knowing I had the best problem solver beside me. Every problem I faced was solved with little or no anxiety. But there were a few more tears, thankful tears. He proved to, be, to me to never doubt that he walks beside me. And that if you ask him for help, he will help you. Go ahead. Try it. Next problem you face, sit down, take a deep breath, and ask for his help. Just ask. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And I know Stephanie. And you know Stephanie. You know what Stephanie's going to have to do tomorrow? This exact same thing. She's going to have to remember the history of this last week and follow. You know what I'm going to have to do tomorrow? This same thing. I'm going to remember the history of yesterday and move forward because we have this great King Jesus. He is the lion that roars. Just like C.S. Lewis said in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when little Susie came to Aslan the lion, the great lion, and she was afraid, and she asked, is he quite safe? And little Mr. Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Because he isn't safe. But he's good. And what God wants us to know, and what God wants you to know, for the second half of this year, is the call of Jesus on your life is not safe. But if you follow him, it's always good. So cling to his grace. Grasp for it. Be guarded by his word. And choose to follow King Jesus. He gave his life for us. Let's pray.